Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 35 for Monday, October the 5th, 2020. However you listen and thank you for doing so. A number of ways to find the podcast, uh, whether you are on Apple Podcasts or your Android device where you get your podcasts or you're on InTheMoneyPodcast.com or you're on YouTube. Easy way on YouTube, just go into the search bar, type in Matt Bernier Show. It will give you this episode as well as the 34 prior episodes this week. No visuals, kind of tipped you off on that last week. Uh, so if you are on YouTube, you're just going to get the opening slate card, and that's going to be up for the duration of this thing. I am going to keep it tight simply because it's kind of a kind of a makeshift setup here in my hotel room still in Lexington, Kentucky. We have one more NBCSN TVG show coming up on Wednesday afternoon with the win and you're in for the Jessamine, two-year-old Phillies on turf for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf. That'll be on Future Stars Friday. I thought all the action this past weekend was great, and I'd like to do a deeper dive, but again, just kind of working with a... I don't want to call it a, a sort of skeleton setup compared to, but it is just that compared to what I typically have at home. So I thought this would be a good opportunity. I know the Jockey Club Gold Cup is going to be run this weekend at Belmont Park, but the Breeders' Cup Classic Division, for the most part, seems pretty, I would say pretty set in stone. Barring some random things, you can have defections between now and the first Saturday in November. You can have, you know, wild sort of late add-ons. But I, I thought it would be a good time to at least, I, you know, I keep harping on the idea of doing your work early and trying to get a jump start or a head start and trying to plan accordingly and, and be prepared for things that maybe you do or don't want to happen, things that could come to fruition, specifically odds and running styles and pace scenarios for a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. And obviously that's the big one for everyone. That's the one that most people are going to be kind of keeping their eyes out on and it's the the race that carries the most weight as far as purse money is concerned and just sort of you know international prestige six million dollar race so i thought it would be a, a fair time anyway to use the contenders on the breeders cup website breederscup.com put together a list of horses put together a money uh, a money line a morning line as well as a value line now i've brought this up in the past and this is all I'm going to do in this episode so I apologize if it's not the deep dive into the this past weekend's racing from Keeneland and Belmont and Santa Anita that you were looking for again I, I apologize for that just trying to make the most of what I can with the circumstances but I still think this is going to be an interesting piece to listen to and then we can go back in five weeks time and see where was I right where was I wrong you know all that sort of stuff and I want to hear your opinions on my numbers and what you believe these sort of prospective runners could end up looking like in the classic uh, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. So I'm going to rattle off the names of the horses on the Breeders' Cup Classic page on BreedersCup.com. You can go over there. They update the contenders pages throughout the week uh, when things change, additions, defections, you know, the whole nine. And I'm just going to give them to you right in order. Uh, improbable, maximum security, Tom's day tot, tis the law, authentic, by my standards, code of honor, art collector, global campaign, Tacitus, Swiss skydiver, midcourt, war of will. So those are the 12 names, 13 names, excuse me, that I used when doing this exercise. 
the first way for me to go about this was to look at it and think, where are these horses going to be positioned? And I know some folks have different ways of breaking down pace scenarios and things like that, but just at a very sort of, I'm not even going to call it cursory glance, but you kind of have an idea where these horses want to be positioned throughout their run. And I have assigned sort of the old standbys, the early, the presser, the sustained bid, the closer, if you will, and then the horses that kind of fit into multiple categories, the the EP or the PS or the SP or the PE, that sort of jazz. Anybody that's familiar with pace handicapping, that's that's not going to be news to you. So with the list that I've put together, I'm going to uh, rattle off where I have these horses sort of positioned based on running style. Now, that's not including things like the Time Form US Pace Projector, which is, you know, if you're someone who's new to pace, handicapping and things like that, I would strongly encourage you to look at that because uh, there's an algorithm that the folks over there use that spits out what it believes the the pace scenario could look like. And, and frankly, it's quite accurate. Um, you still need to do your, the work on your own, but I think it is a good sort of aid in that process. This is more just a very general overview of where I believe these horses are going to be positioned or, or would prefer to be positioned, you know, barring a, a crazy post draw or whatever the case may be. Uh, so right in order of those horses that I just listed in that order from the classic page. Uh, improbable, I have him listed as a presser slash a sustained runner. Uh, I probably would have had him strictly as a presser type, sort of mid-pack, few lengths off of it. But that run at Santa Anita at least makes me think that he's going to be just as comfortable coming from a little bit farther off of it as he would be up there you know, within a couple lengths. So I gave him sort of the PS designation, a horse that can be sort of mid-pack, but can also rally from off of it if the pace is on the on the swifter side. Uh, maximum security, I have him as an E, an early runner, a horse that doesn't need the lead, but would like to be up there sort of pushing things on the front end. He's the kind of horse who I think he does his best running when he's up there involved in things. Tom's Data, I have him as a PE a presser slash an early runner. I think he's the kind of horse who more likely than not is going to be positioned two to three lengths off of whatever the pace situation is early on. If for whatever reason it's a snail's pace, as we saw in the Stephen Foster, he can go. We know that. Uh, he likes Keeneland as well. I think he's the kind of horse that, you know, to me, a perfect running style, if you could put one together, would be an EP. I think everybody would agree with that. A horse who is very comfortable forwardly placed but can also be just as effective sitting off of it, you know, within two to three lengths. Um, a PE, I think you're probably just one notch below an EP, simply because you're probably going to be a little bit farther back as opposed to the horses that are that have carried this sort of EP designation where they'll be a little bit, they're, they're going to tend to be closer to the front. So they're always going to have a little bit of an advantage there. Tis the Law. I have Tis the Law listed as an EP based on what we've seen in a few of his races now, where he seems like the kind of horse that, you know what, he's going to be reasonably close. Um, he's not going to be one that's out there cutting out the fractions, but he's also not going to come from six or seven out of it. I think he's the kind of horse that could more or less make his make his own trip. That's what makes him dangerous in these kind of races. Uh, authentic, I have him as an E. I've, I'm flirting with the idea of an EF. Because as well as he ran in the Preakness, and again, I, I apologize that there's not going to be a giant sort of dissection of the, the unbelievable stretch run between Swiss Skydiver and Authentic in the Preakness. I, he's still a horse who, when push comes to shove, his wins have come when he's been out there on the lead. 
and I'm not including his maiden score, where he, he sat a half length off of it. He still, I still think he's at his best when he can go. And I, I don't think it was a matter of, of him hanging in the stretch of Pimlico, but it's, it's just something to keep in mind. If he doesn't make the lead, given the price that he could potentially be, is that something that you even want to flirt with on Breeders' Cup Saturday? That's for you to decide. By my standards, I have him listed as a P.E., the kind of horse who's probably going to sit a few lengths off of it. Um, he would appreciate some pace. Nick Tamaro pointed out on Twitter weeks ago, it, it, this horse has an uncanny ability to find races that just don't have any kind of pace whatsoever in them. Uh, and I think that has compromised him to the extent that it hasn't compromised him from performing well, but I think it has compromised him from performing his absolute best. Now, whether or not his absolute best is good enough to run with the best in here, you know, we'll find that out hopefully in five weeks' time. But I, I think there is more there than what we've seen as far as his his capabilities. I don't think you've seen the absolute best of him yet because circumstances have prevented him from producing that. Uh, Code of Honor. I have him listed as a P-slash-S, a presser-slash-sustained, meaning closer type, that could easily be flipped the other way to an SP. He's the kind of horse who just doesn't... I think he would appreciate having a lot of pace to run at rallying from the back of the pack having said that and I don't want to use the run and the Kelso as the the barometer for where he is right now but I just don't get the feeling that he's the same horse that he was as a three-year-old um, that's just my opinion uh, let me know if you agree or disagree beneath the video player on YouTube but I just I I'm having a hard time seeing him defeat not just one or two of these horses who we've already listed and, and more to come still but three four or five of them it just I, who knows I mean look Shug is Shug's a hall of famer for a reason but I feel like that horse has a lot of work to do to really catch up to to everyone else in this division uh, art collector uh, I think it's fair to say a disappointing effort in the Preakness but if you want to be on the sort of kinder side of things you can look at it and say you know, he, he did miss the target race for him. He was supposed to run a month ago, so he missed a little bit of time. They come back. Maybe he's a little bit short, whatever the case may be. Uh, I expected a hell of a lot more than we got from him. But that doesn't mean that he can't take a step forward. The problem is the step forward is going to, be, going to need to be so significant that I just... I, I Well, I'll get into the numbers in a bit. Uh, I have uh, given him the designation as an EP. Horse who can be forwardly placed, can also sit a couple lengths off of it and still be effective. Global campaign, I have given him a flat-out E. Uh, I think he's the kind of horse who's going to go, and against a field like this, I think the only way he could potentially win. And you're going to hear me say that more and more. And I've been wrong with some of these statements in the past. I've been right with some of these statements in the past. I said it about Swiss Skydiver. I thought the only way that she could win the Preakness was going. I was obviously wrong about that. Um, the pace ended up being much more on the pedestrian side, and uh, a heady ride from Robbie Alvarado led to a skydiver to rally from off the pace to win. Um, I do think you look at enough races, day in and day out, you're, you can identify horses that if they don't do a certain thing, they cannot win. Whether it's them being overmatched from a talent standpoint and they don't use their tactical advantage to, to their advantage, or whatever the case may be. I... I a firm believer in th there are certain horses that you, you they're not going to win races unless they do specific things and global campaign i the only scenario i can see him winning this race is by being on a absolute send mission and trying to wire the field 
that's the only scenario I can see him winning this race. Uh, so I've given him the E designation. Move on to Tacitus. Tacitus, this is a, an abundantly clear one. Uh, I actually was maybe a little bit charitable. I, I gave him the SP, the sustain slash presser. I think when it all is said and done, he's going to be a horse that's just flat out last or second to last trying to rally. I assume he's going to run in the Jockey Club Gold Cup this weekend at Belmont. Um, I think he's just kind of that horse that, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Um, he's fooled many of us multiple times now. His best is good enough from a number standpoint. I, you know, your guess is as good as mine when the good race is going to show up. And he does need pace, I think, in order to be at his absolute best. I gave him the SP designation, Swiss Skydiver, the Preakness winner. Uh, I gave her an EP designation, and in the past or prior to Saturday, I probably would have given her just a flat-out E designation where, again, I think she's at her best when she's out there forwardly placed, but sort of then, I don't want to call it a new dimension, but enough of a, a sort of versatile piece that, you know, maybe she doesn't have to be in the thick of things from jump, and I'm keeping her on, on this list, A, because, again, I'm, I'm working off of the classic page on breederscup.com but also i think when you really think about it i mean it's a tough decision for the connections to be in mile and an eighth against monomoy girl or mile and a quarter which is probably better for you but you got to deal with six or seven or eight really quality older older males and even the three-year-old boys tough tough position to be in i I kind of would lean toward the classic, but, you know, I can understand the connections going either way. She's run well here at Gainland in the past. I think she's better going longer, which, uh, you know, obviously anybody that listened to this uh, in the past knows that I was always very dubious about how far she ultimately wanted to go, and I couldn't have been more wrong about that either. So I'll just be curious to see where the connections ultimately choose to go with her. I have her listed as an EP type Midcourt, I have him as an E. I'm gonna just not gonna skip the entire sort of lecture, but you can rewind to global campaign to see what I think about midcourt's chances. And the last horse is War of Will. Now War of Will, I have him listed as an E, but he has shown the ability to sit in turf races. Should he go in this race, which I would still be surprised. I think he's probably gonna end up in in the in the mile on grass. But if he went in, in, in this race, I think he would be at least be an interesting sort of addition to it. I don't know that he would necessarily figure in it, but he would. he's a name that people are semi-familiar with. He's a horse who has some credentials, clearly grade one winner on dirt and turf. And he's the kind of horse who has a running style, which could be conducive to winning a race like this. So there, there are some intriguing pieces should they go in this race here. So there are the running styles that I had listed for the 13 runners. And I can't overstate it. This this whole exercise could be a, a moot point when, you know, so-and-so doesn't go here, so-and-so misses training, they're not going to make the race, a wild card from Europe shows up, you know. I, but the idea is this is just something for you. You need to start thinking, be proactive. I, I sound like a broken record, but be proactive. Don't wait until the night before the race is a run to be doing this sort of thing. Try to have an idea going into it so you can adapt on the fly if all of a sudden there's a giant odds discrepancy from what you anticipated. That way you're not, all, oh, no, you know, you're shell-shocked, especially if you're somebody playing in, in, in an event like the BCBC. You, you don't want to be spending those 35, 40 minutes before the race scrambling trying to put things together because the odds didn't check out the way that you thought that they would. 
if you position yourself and you do enough homework in advance, enough prep, you can kind of alleviate some of those things. It's no different than you hear all these athletes talk about there's a reason that you practice and sort of you try to replicate pressure situations. So when the, the moment comes and presents itself, you're not you're not entirely shook. Yeah, you're going to be nervous and you're going to be a little bit jittery just because it's the, it's the real deal. But that's why you put in all those reps before. That's why you put in the practice. So you know what? When the real thing, you know, shows up and presents itself, it, it's not such a, you know, such a curveball. Now, let's go to the morning line exercise. And I said it before. There's a There are two different things. A morning line and a value line are two entirely different things. Talked about it a million times in the past. I got to get a swig of Gatorade. Hang on. Okay. Got to wet the whistle. A morning line is what the track odds maker, the track line maker, predicts the public will do and what these horses will go off at at post time. Strictly a prediction on what the public is going to do, who they're going to be betting, and to what price. It's not a reflection of the morning line maker's opinion of the race. It's their prediction of what the horse's off odds are going to be. A value line is genuinely your opinion of who deserves to be what price. Not what you think the horses will be, what you think they should be. See the difference there? Another difference in the morning line versus the value line the value line has to total 100%, 100 points, because any outcome, the race is going to be run, and there's going to be a winner 100% of the time. With a morning line, you have to add in the takeout. Now, in a big field like this, you can push that number out into the 125-ish range. My morning line's out at 127, perhaps a little bit high. I can tweak it down and move some of the numbers a little bit. But I went through and I looked at it, and I think it's a pretty decent number. And I'd be curious what, again, all of you think. Let's start with the morning line. Then I'll give you my value line. And we'll compare them a little bit back and forth before we wrap this thing up. And again, this this is this entire episode is really... I don't want to say it's only as good as the the feedback or sort of the... I, I mean, th- this is ultimately the one that should be more of a forum with back-and-forth opinions beneath the video player on YouTube because some people will vehemently disagree with some of these things and some people will be all in on them. But that's what I think makes something like this an educational piece going forward, not just for the Breeders' Cup Classic, but something for you all to just sort of use going forward. This is This is, this is sort of an evergreen piece showcasing this one race using it as the example i'm going to list them off in reverse morning line order so the longest shots down to the favorites okay uh a horse and and i'm not somebody you know you could get really really minute with the details with the with the lines you can get down to the you know the the tenths of a percent i keep them at round numbers and then just you know use my noodle you know what roughly the numbers work out to be. So if you want to critique that, that that's on you. Uh, midcourt, I gave him 2% as far as the morning line was concerned. Translates technically to 49 to 1, but again, for this purpose, 50 to 1 on the morning line for me. <clears throat> Tacitus, 
Art Collector, War of Will, Global Campaign. I have all of them at 3%, 30 to 1 odds. Code of Honor, I have at 5%, 20 to 1. Two Horses at 15 to 1 with 6% on the morning line. By My Standards and Swiss Skydiver. Authentic at 11% on the morning line at 8 to 1. Tom's Day Ta at 15%, 6 to 1 on the morning line. Tis the Law, 17%, 5 to 1 on the morning line. Maximum Security, 25%, 3 to 1 on the morning line. An improbable 28% morning line, 5 to 2 morning line odds. Now, again, the morning, th- that is, if, if this race were run, that's what I believe the horses would go off at. I think Maximum Security is a name that everyone knows. But this is one of those weird races where, while it's a highly publicized race, I think you have much more sharp money involved in a race like this or a series like this, a championship meet like this, like the Breeders' Cup, than you would with the Derby or any of those other sort of races. I think Improbable is going to be the favorite, barring something crazy happening. But I think he's going to be a slight favorite. And then I think you're going to have some nice sort of numbers whether it is a, a tis the law at, at you know nine to two or five to one, or an authentic at, at eight to ten to one, or maybe he's not quite that high. Maybe he goes off at six to one. Who knows? But this is what my opinion is. This is what I think. If they ran the race tomorrow, that's what I believe their odds would look like, give or take a point or two. Now, comparing that to the value line, there is a pretty significant difference. A, because you have fewer points to work with. Again, the morning line is incorporating the takeout number, the percentage, roughly, you know, 20, give or take. And the value line has to add up to 100. So you're going to have fewer points to award on the value line because there's only 100% for a total outcome. I'm going to give them to you, well, I'll just go back and forth. From the morning line of the longest price to what I awarded them for a value line. Start with midcourt. I had him 50 to 1 on the morning line. I gave him 1% on the value line, 99 to 1. I'd be stunned if he won. Tacitus, 3%, 30 to 1 on the morning line. I gave him 3% on the value line. It technically works out to about 32 to 1. So I'm looking at those two basically the same. Art collector, 3 to 1 on the morning line, 30 to 1. I gave him 5%, 19 to 1 value line, roughly 20 to 1. Uh, it has more to do with sort of, again, the logic of he's run well here at Keeneland in the past. Maybe he needed the race in order to really take a step forward, given the layoff and all that. Or I don't want to call it a layoff, but the, the missed target. He was supposed to be running in, in the Derby. They couldn't go there. Maybe he needed a race before we're going to see his best. War of Will, 30-1 to 1 on the morning line. I gave him 2% value line, 49-1, to 1, roughly 50-1. to 1. Uh, you know, again, there's really no scenario. And that's the piece, too. you got to keep in mind. When you're talking about a value line, in all likelihood, if I if I make a horse 20 to 1, art collector, what are the chances I'm actually going to be betting him? I mean, I, I believe he's going to win this race 5 out of 100 times. I mean, it's not a, not a high probability idea. So unless he went off at 100 to 1, which he's not going to, there's really not a lot there. With a value line, you should be looking at the horses that you believe 
have a relatively high probability of winning and look for the overlays there because those are the ones that realistically, if you have a, any kind of a good value line put together, those are the ones that you can take advantage of. If you have a horse that you peg at 5 to 1 and they go off at 35 to 1, you probably screwed up. You probably are vastly overrating or overestimating their ability because the public is generally not that far off. Public is the best handicapper that they're, that, that's out there. Keep that in mind. Global campaign. I gave him 30 to 1 on the morning line. I gave him 1% on the value line. Made him 99 to 1. I would be stunned if he won this race. No disrespect to the connections. Code of Honor. Gave him 20 to 1 on the morning line. Gave him 32 to 1 on the value line. Again, I just I don't really know where this horse is right now. Now you get into a little bit of the more intriguing area. And it's what? Seven horses deep. I have seven horses between five to one and 13 to one, which tells you a couple things. One, I think it's a wide open race. Two, in all likelihood, the favorites, I won't be in a position to make a win wager on unless I am way off on who the public is going to be betting. By my standards in Swiss Skydiver, I had them both at 15 to 1 on the morning line. I have Swiss Skydiver at 13 to 1 on the value line. By my standards at 12 to 1. I think one or both of those horses are in play as far as making a win wager is concerned. But again, keeping in mind that you're dealing with an 8% chance and a 7% chance. We're not dealing with high probability chances. So if, if the public puts them at those sort of numbers, are you really getting any kind of edge? Hmm. Not really. Again, depending on how accurate your value line is. You're really not looking at any kind of a massive percentage overlay. So you can still make your play, but just approach it with realistic expectations. Recognize that you're still dealing with a less than 10% chance of this thing playing out. Authentic. I made him 8-1 to on the morning line, and I made him 8-1 to on my value line. Um, he's a fascinating one for me because I could see it going one of two ways. I could see people betting him pretty heavily, and he goes off as the third choice at 5-1. to one. Or I could see him floating up into that 8-1 to one range because there are other horses in here who are well-known and have ability and X, Y, and Z. And when it's all said and done, there's a real scenario that Authentic is the fastest horse early in this race. And he's paired up 105 buyers. I've talked about it in the past. I believe in the paired-up buyer tops preceding a forward move. I thought he ran really well in the Preakness. I could argue he ran just as well in the Preakness as he did in the Derby. And if you get a forward move, that becomes interesting. Authentic becomes interesting. Even for, you know, someone who if I need, to, you know, I for NBC we'll have to make a pick, air quotes pick. He's not out of the realm of possibility to me at this point. Tom's d'etat. I made him six to one on the morning line. I made him five to one on my value line. He's one of two horses I have at five to one. So from a fifteen percent on the morning line to a seventeen percent value line, uh, I don't need to continue to say it. You all have heard it for a while. I feel like he and Improbable should be one A and one B. Uh, I think everyone else is a slight notch below at this point, anyway. Um, but this is where the math. This is where it turns into almost as much a math game as it does a handicapping game. I shouldn't say that because math is part of the handicapping. 
analyzing a race versus factoring in odds and value and things of that nature. That's where this is sort of the, you know, the, the tipping point, the, the fork in the road, where you need to, it's not just about who you think is going to win, it's that are they offering you a fair price? Tom's Day Ta, I think he, I think he's at no better than third choice. And that could very easily land him in that five to one range. And if that's the case, again, if I believe he is, I mean, I still have number one in my classic rankings. That would be a, a difficult position for me to not at least explore. Tis the law. I made him five to one in the morning line. I gave him six to one odds as far as the value line is concerned. Effectively the same for the most part. Um, he's another one. He's, he fits into this sort of pack of five that I have between five and eight to one that I could see a little bit of fluctuation. I feel like the top two, though. And maybe, maybe Tis the law deserves to be in there. But I feel like the top two, I, I will be surprised if, if, if I'm way off on these top two from a morning line standpoint. And ultimately, what they go off at. I'll be, I'll be surprised. Maximum security. I made him 3-1 to one on the morning line. I have him at 8-1 to one on my value line. Um, he could obviously win this race. I just There was so little I liked about the awesome again. And he's going to get bet in this race. There's, there's no way he does not get bet in this race. There's a real chance that he's the favorite in this race. Just on name recognition alone. And if that happens, I think an opportunity is presenting itself. Because I don't think he deserves to be the favorite. Now, if you tell me he's going to be 10 to 1, I'm very interested. Because we're looking at, you know, especially based on my numbers, that's roughly a 25% overlay. I'm, I'm intrigued then. I'm willing to listen. But if he's going to go off at 3 to 1 or 5 to 2 or 2 to 1, he, he just doesn't do a lot for me. And then you get to improbable. I had him at five to two on the morning line. I have him at five to one on the value line. And it's not because I don't believe he is among the most likely winners. It's just I think this race is that wide open that I don't want to settle for a short number. And I don't think he has that much of an edge. Excuse me. I think he has an edge, but I don't think it's a, an insurmountable lead on the rest of this field and his running style, especially if he's going to be coming from farther out of it. I think you have to factor that in. And the way you factor that in is by adding a few points saying, you know what? I'm fine with you with that running style, but you gotta, you gotta pay for it a little bit. I can't, I can't, you know, you're going to be spotting really, really talented runners in theory, four or five lengths. Got to factor that into the price a little bit. So, that's going to sort of wrap this piece up. And I hope this was uh, something that was fun to listen to. And, and for those of you, I would encourage you to try to do this. It's very easy to make your own numbers. Uh, the, the easiest way to go through and try to figure out sort of lines, value line, morning line, whatever it may be. Uh, it's 100 divided by the uh, percentage uh, minus one. So if you think a horse wins the race 20 times out of 100, 100 divided by 20 is 4, uh, excuse me, is 5, minus 1 is 4. You're looking at 4 to 1 odds. Uh, if you think the, the horse wins the race, 25 t out of 100 times. 100 divided by 25 is 4, minus 1, 
three, three to one odds. It's a, it's a pretty straightforward, self-explanatory kind of thing. And, and again, a value line has to add up to 100. A morning line is 100 plus somewhere in the 20-ish range. 25, you don't want to go much more than that. Again, I went to 127. Perhaps it's too high, but I could make little tweaks if I really needed to you know, knock a couple horses back down to 30 or, or 50 to one, whatever it may be. So that's just my look at this thing. And again, this division could look entirely different five weeks from now. But I thought this was an interesting time to at least throw something out there, given I don't have all of my tools at my, you know, at my beck and call, recording this on the phone in a hotel room. So let me know beneath the video player on YouTube, agree or disagree with the morning line odds for these horses, the value line odds. Let me know your morning line, your value line. If these 13 horses, in fact, run in the Classic here at Keeneland five weeks from now, who's the favorite? Who's going to offer up nice odds? Overlays. Who's going to be an overlay? I don't need you to tell me that, you know... I think it's I think it's unrealistic if somebody sat there and said, you know what? Tis the law, he should be eight to five in this field. I would say, you're crazy. I like you, but you're crazy. Because no horse in this field deserves to be eight to five. And it's not because they're not talented enough, it's because this field is that deep. This is effectively a race for horse of the year. If any one of seven horses wins this race, they're horse of the year. It's a lot on the line in this year's Breeders' Cup Classic. Really looking forward to it. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Please rate, review, and subscribe however you listen to this, whether it's Apple Podcasts, your Android device, uh, in themoneypodcast.com, on YouTube. Again, Matt Bernier Show in the search bar. You'll get this episode as well as the 34 prior. Thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever it may be. I'll be back next Tuesday. Back to video. Back home in Massachusetts. Join us Wednesday. Got the Jessamine winning you're in for the Juvenile Phillies Turf, NBCSN at 4 o'clock. We'll wrap things up and I'll head home on Thursday. Until next Tuesday. Best of luck however you play, whatever you play, wherever you play. It's been episode 35 of the Matt Bernier Show. <laughs>